Welcome to Bossy Pants and the Nerd. We're Mel and Kevin, and we're going to chat with you about our passions, what we've learned, and what we love. Also, we're married to each other, and you get to listen to us talk. You are welcome. In case you haven't noticed, we're in the middle of a pandemic. What? <laughs> we didn't know what that was. I I think I probably really learned what that word meant when I was first playing the board game Pandemic. <laughs> Which is a fantastic board game. But it's a whole different level when we're six, eight, however many months into a global health crisis. And... Today we wanted to talk about how that has affected our personal lives, just to share some of the uh, ups and downs we've both experienced, as well as what effects it's had on our leadership as we lead a a local congregation, a local church, and uh, talk a little bit about the science and why we're making the decisions that we're making and why we think you should too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely there's going to be a little bit of sanctimonious preaching halfway through, and it's not going to be about church. <laughs> or Jesus. But or Jesus. COVID. Wear your dang mask. <laughs> well, or I will judge I'll try you. to keep Kevin and from... And if you're one of those people out there, okay, all right, hold up. I was going to say I was going to try to keep you from swearing too much. I said dang. You did. I did. I um, if you wear your mask underneath your nose... Um, Don't even wear your mask. I I will reserve the right to judge you very, very harshly. Don't even bother. No. Okay, so it's the 1st of September, the first part of September. And for me, it feels like it was just last September. Like the whole last year has been one tiny blip on the, the radar. I don't know how much time has passed. And it's strange to me that my youngest child, who's only just over two, doesn't really know anything differently. And my oldest child is still grieving the loss of going to preschool and getting to go to playgrounds whenever she wants and making new friends at every turn. Mm -hmm. And I am exhausted from having to avoid people. I am like misfriendly, small talk, smile at people, get close, give random strangers hugs. And I have to walk on the other side of the sidewalk when I see people coming. I can't talk to people whenever I want. And I am... You feel like the Pharisee from Parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, it's... It really makes you a terrible person. It really does. It feels emotionally (laughs) and spiritually and physically exhausting because that's just not human existence as it should be. But we're going to keep on keeping on because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. No, and I think that our first our first note says, what did Mel learn because of the pandemic? And I, I think maybe it's interesting because I think we've all learned something in the last, well, right now it's middle of, or beginning of September. So we're looking at like six months, basically. A solid maybe, six months. Maybe, maybe like, five. Yeah. If you started doing your whole quarantining thing at the beginning of April. Um, but yeah, like... It's, it's funny what you learn about yourself and what you need when most of your routine is just completely junked and thrown in the trash for months at a time. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself and your practices and the way you do life 
that and how they've I mean the pandemic and and quarantining has just changed what we actually get to do and what we don't get to do anymore and so what things have we each said okay I'm gonna let go of that forever I didn't need that to begin with and what things are we like oh you know this is a, a real gift from the the focus that the pandemic has forced us to have in our lives on what really matters and what we want to let go of so what has it helped you clarify about life <laughs> well, it's kind of for me personally it's kind of reinforced that i <laughs> if you're one of my friends that i haven't talked to in a couple months i'm sorry um it's made me realize that i don't i don't need constant communication with people to be like to be okay and so i without like the normal habits of hey i see these people every week at church mm -hmm. or hey i see these people when i go to do this thing um, without those routines, I have realized that I very rarely will like initiate contact with people, mm -hmm. um, which I, I think I sort of knew about myself, but I don't think I realized how true that was. Mm -hmm. um, like my parents have called me a couple times. I think I've called them once, like something crazy like that. Um, and and I, I, when I think about it, I feel a little bad about that. <laughs> um but yeah, like I am just, I am not the one to initiate that kind of like, hey, let's go, let's go chat. Like, yeah, I didn't know that about me, but I, I have definitely learned that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think we were both commenting though on how we actually have gone so deep with a, three or so of our, our friends, like three, three family friends that we have quarantined with. And every one of our conversations is meaningful and deep and good and long. And we're both realizing we're missing some of that passing conversation and just enjoying someone for a few minutes and then moving on. Like, we don't have that. And, and we have something deep and real and good. But I'm actually learning that we need all four aspects of social interaction. Like, this really intimate conversation, the social that also brings some vulnerability, but then also this like public and uh, like larger group just passing people out and about that we don't have right now. And I think part of us is tired. Um, and I think probably tired every, is a good word. I think probably everybody is. Um, for me, I think there it has really helped me to clarify what it means to be a church and what it means to be a pastor and what it doesn't mean. <laughs> um, I think before the pandemic, I thought that to be a pastor meant that I had to be in everybody's lives all the time. And I'm realizing that just cannot be, and that isn't necessarily good. Like my job isn't to be the person for everybody. It's to teach other people how to be in community with each other, how to ask good questions, how to disciple each other, not to just mm -hmm. rely on me. Well, yeah, and because I mean, just think about it from a practical standpoint, if you've got, say, 50 people in the typical American church, I think the median church size was like 44 hmm. the last time I saw stats on it. Really? So that means that half of churches in America have fewer than 44 people in them, mm -hmm. and half of churches in America have more than 44 people in them. Okay. Um, so if you figure like, you know, 50 people, can you meaningfully be a really good friend to 50 people? No. 
I thought I could. Right. Like <laughs> I you, actually you, thought I could. You pretty clearly can't, though. Like, yeah. nobody can. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're going to try and build some sort of community or, you know, any sort of group at all, like, you can't possibly tie everyone to one person. Otherwise, it's never going to be a group bigger than, say, I don't know, 12, like, you know, Jesus had. <laughs> if the incarnate son of God on earth can't be a good friend to more than 12 people at a time or didn't try to be more than, you know, maybe 20, if you include like Mary, Martha and Lazarus and mm-hmm. a couple of the other people like, OK, the son of God incarnate can get 20 people. Mm-hmm. Let's shoot for 12. Yeah. Maybe 10. And that doesn't mean your influence. Maybe for some of you, you can be a good friend to three. Right. That doesn't mean your influence <laughs> or your interaction doesn't go far beyond that. I mean, Jesus preached to crowds. I love crowds. <laughs> but the meaningful, I, I, I'm realizing that it's OK to have a few good friends. And I honestly like it was hard for me. I was the kid in elementary school and I was the pastor a couple years ago that thought I have to invite everybody to my party. Like if I leave one person out, they're going to be sad. And I mean, maybe they will be, but I realize I can't, that's, that's not what it means to be true friends. Just because our kid is a pastor's kid doesn't mean the whole church comes to her birthday party. Right. It's okay to have (laughs) friends and it, and good friends might be different than the people that you're you're leading and and it's okay to be friendly with people and mm-hmm. to be like but there's a different level of like depth of of relationship that comes right. and that's okay and i yeah. didn't feel like it was okay before well and it's normal yeah you know like not everyone like some of your friends are your work friends like yeah i'm gonna smile good. and nod and maybe tell a couple jokes when i'm sitting at the you know desk next to yours at work but you don't get invited to my barbecue over the summer. Right. <laughs> and that's that's okay. Like, anyway. And so I think that maybe we've over... We've over-spiritualized being someone's friend. Mm-hmm. And we've turned it into, like, a spiritual responsibility and mm. duty. I didn't just fart. That was my chair. If, I, I, if I, you I heard that. that. Well, I did say the word duty, so... That's true. It was good timing. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I think we just over-spiritualized what it meant to be social. And I think that maybe COVID is teaching us, hey, um, your social life is going to completely change and you're going to have to rebuild it from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of taking the opportunity to go, okay, so what? what is what does healthy stuff look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So let's jump back to the, the church thing in a few minutes. But I want to start back at the weekend of March, was it 13th? Something like that. And I remember the day because I was supposed to be in North Carolina at the Women's Clergy Conference for the first time that I'd, I'd been wanting to go to the last three and mm-hmm. hadn't ever made it. Um, and we decided, I remember I was supposed to drive down like Wednesday or something. And I looked at you and I was like, should I go? Should I not go? Like this, this coronavirus really seems to be like an actual it's an actual thing um should i be worried i don't know and i was talking to one of my friends who's a health expert and she wasn't super worried about it but there was something about you in particular that was like kevin never like you just don't worry about stuff and when you were cautious and concerned and like "Mm, i think this is going to be a big deal and i think we need to be on the front edge of it i think we need to we need to lead mm-hmm. the way. I mean, that was, was the first like, week we canceled church, Oh, my too. gosh. Okay. So yeah. we're going to stay home. I didn't... I canceled... I was supposed to teach yoga. I was supposed to lead a, a liturgical evening service there. And I was mm-hmm. like, sorry, guys, I can't come. Somebody else is going to have to do it. And that first weekend, a couple of days later, we're like, should we not have church in person? Mm-hmm. And that was March 15th, I want to say. Yeah. And... The Ides of March. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was, again, a few weeks before everyone else 
jumped on on board. Yeah, it was around April 1 that, you know, our local corporate office that I used to work for Mm -hmm. um, shut their office Mm -hmm. down. And so we were a couple weeks ahead of that. Right. And it's felt like it's been hard all along to, to make those decisions when they don't quite line up with the common understanding. Mm-hmm. And it's still like schools are going back. I th- I don't even know. I think a lot of churches are back in session mm-hmm. and we have opted not to. And can you say more about, <laughs> about <laughs> I don't want why? people to die. It's as simple as that. It really is. It, it kind of is. I, and I think that, you know, there are a number of issues that we've been working through as a country, you know, like the whole racial injustice and the systemic racism that the America whole... was literally built on. Um, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. You know, that whole thing, too. Uh, the fact that so much of Christian morality could be made so simple if we go, hey, we would like for people to not die. That's really, really bad. Let's avoid that. Um, but I want to get to do what I want. I, th- I, this that is, is a free country. And when that is the best counter argument you have, you know your argument is absolute bullcrap. <laughs> but not being with people is really bad for my mental health. Yeah, mine, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what's really bad for your mental health? Being dead. But God can, we can have faith and God will protect us if we meet together and worship together. You're really testing my ability to not swear in response to these arguments, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> So, yeah, but she brings up a good point. Like, all of those arguments are based on individualism. And I think that is what we're running up against as a country, is that America was founded. At least this is the story we tell ourselves. I don't think it actually was. But this country was founded on individual freedom. And, you know, I'm not going to get too far into the weeds, but there's two types of freedom that they talk about in philosophy. At least this is one way to talk about it. And one is positive freedom or negative freedom. It's like negative freedom is freedom from restrictions. And that's what America means when we talk about freedom. Mm. Um, You don't get to tell me what I can't do. I can do anything I want, right? Um, That's negative freedom. And that's also kind of the bad kind of freedom. Uh, The good kind of freedom is ensuring that everything is free to be what it is designed or meant to be, right? You can fulfill your, your purpose, you are you're you're not being held back. Um, so arguing for positive freedom would look like saying, okay, if every American has the right to work and pull themselves up by their bootstraps, positive freedom looks like saying, okay, let's raise taxes and provide health care for everyone so that everyone is healthy enough to go get a job. Hmm. That's positive freedom. Interesting. Negative freedom would say, well, you're taxing me, so that's bad. Stop taxing me. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. We get into these arguments in America in particular where, you know, like, I think you should wear your darn mask. Period. Full stop. So that people don't die. And you're thinking, but I have my negative freedom. You don't get to tell me what I have to do or can't do. It's like, well, positive freedom says we do. Because if you don't wear your mask, you could be an asymptomatic carrier. You could infect someone and someone could die mm-hmm. so that you can not put a piece of cloth over your face. Mm-hmm. Like when you put it that way, it it's completely ridiculous that we have all these contrived arguments that seem to say, well, I shouldn't have to take care of other people because I want to be totally selfish. And that's what America is founded on. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, if America is truly founded on the idea that I get to be totally selfish and potentially put my neighbor in mortal harm because I don't want to take the basic precautions required by our medical professionals, 
then yeah, we should just burn America to the ground now because it's terrible. Mm. And so what that what that really looks like is now we're we're struggling with the idea of okay, do we actually have the phrase social contract? You know that we maybe all heard in government class in high school, and most of us probably forgot. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't remember what that means. Yeah, it's it's the idea that we all give up a little bit of freedom to find security. Right. And there's one or two quotes from people in the revolutionary era, both in America and in France and stuff, where people are saying, well, if you give up a little bit of a secu- little bit of freedom to gain security, you you deserve to lose both or something like that. And yeah, it, it's it's nice and pithy to put on Facebook when you deal in absolutes like that. But it also kind of makes you a Sith Lord. Star Wars joke. Um, but the, <laughs> I know it's so funny. So when you're when you're dealing with things like that the problem is that you absolutely deserve to give up a little bit of freedom to get security you know i don't want someone to come in and shoot me in my house so that means that i i need to give up a little bit of my freedom to give power to someone who is going to be able to stop people from shooting me you know in in a functional society that's the police we could also have a nice long conversation about <laughs> so how the police are the ones going into people's houses and shooting them. But, you know, I, I'm being controversial enough for one day. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. So the idea then is we as a country can look at people and say, you absolutely need to wear your mask. It keeps your friends and neighbors safe. You need to not be within six feet of people unless absolutely necessary. And the most recent stats say if you're inside, it needs to be more than six feet. Mm-hmm. Which means all of the laws that our government is passing right now to keep people safe is based on the idea of a six foot gap. But we've now found out that six feet isn't enough, especially if you're in a restaurant and you take your mask off to eat. Or there's fans or air or there conditioning. Or there are fans certainly. or air conditioning or you're singing or 50 billion other things that make it more dangerous to be inside with people. Yeah. You know, like there are other countries that said, hey, let's lock everything down for two months. We'll pay everyone a couple thousand dollars a month per person so that they can afford to stay home. The economy doesn't take too much of a hit because everyone's still buying stuff because they still need food. They still need to pay rent. And the government will take the hit instead of individual people. And then on the other end of it, COVID's basically gone and they go back to their daily lives. Hmm. Instead, America decided, hey, what if we just all like gave lip service to the idea of fighting this disease? We'll just let a couple million people get infected. A couple hundred thousand people will die of it. And then we'll call it a good day. And we'll celebrate America's victory over the virus when everyone else is looking at us and going, dude, are you guys okay over there? Mm -hmm. You're all dying and you don't have to. What's wrong with you? And as Christians, to love our neighbor literally looks like wearing our mask right now. Yeah, absolutely. Literally put it on the sign out front of the church. Yeah. And it feels a little bit crazy sometimes because sometimes it's like, well, I don't really know you know, maybe, maybe this isn't that big of a deal. Like I've, I've had all these thoughts myself, like, well, they're all getting to have fun. Why can't I? (laughs) Like, I want to go hang out with those people too. And then I think of, you know, like stories like Noah, where God told him to go do this crazy thing and build Mm -hmm. an ark in the middle of nowhere. And everybody laughed at him Mm -hmm. and they thought he was crazy. And then they all died. (laughs) Like, (laughs) It was I mean, a good analogy. That's a great kid story. We should tell kids stories all the time about should, the whole world dying. Yeah, we should tell Noah in the Ark all the time. Um, but that's our—that's who we're called to be right now is, is the weird ones who actually protect people even when it makes us look crazy and even when it makes yeah. us—even when people say we're wrong. Well, and here are all the arguments that I'm not saying. 
Okay. All the arguments I'm not saying are, oh, but the mortality rate is a little less than 1%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, hey, what about blah, blah, blah? Or what about this? Or I heard that masks don't even help. Or I heard this. Or I watched a YouTube video that said that aerosol droplets will get through an N95 mask. Mm -hmm. And the problem with all of those arguments is that they're all arguments being made by people who don't understand what they're saying. (laughs) And I, I can't put it more plainly than that. Experts are the experts for a reason. You know, like there, are, I've had this argument probably 50 billion times on 50 billion different issues over the last 20 years. It's the same argument that people use for vaccines. Mm. You know, like, oh, but I heard that somebody got autism after having a vaccine. Well, yeah, somebody did say that. And then he was exposed as a fraud and they took his medical license. But everyone's still repeating the story as if it were legitimate. So that we can get polio again. So that we can get polio again because that actually started happening. Or measles or mumps. And, you know, it's like people for some reason have decided in our culture in particular that experts are not as good as the last YouTube video I watched. Mm. We're so mistrustful of authority that we've decided to say, okay, I don't believe the experts. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go do some research on YouTube for a couple hours and I'm gonna say, okay, that makes me better than Dr. Anthony Fauci who's literally been fighting pandemics and epidemics for 40 plus years. Yeah. Like the dude has been doing this for longer than I've been alive. Why would I doubt him? And the reason we don't really, I didn't know who he was, you know, the reason we don't know that is because he took care of business. Yeah. Right. And now we're not listening Mm -hmm. to him. Or our our beloved president at the moment, you know, criticized our previous beloved president for allowing Ebola to kill two Americans and thought, oh, man, this is terrible. He ought to be held accountable for two Americans dying because of Ebola. This is terrible. This is a disaster. I think the death rate for COVID is higher than two. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Um, And and yet we we just kind of wash it off because it fits our preconceived notions about what we want to believe. Yeah. Instead of looking at the evidence and going, what does the evidence say I should do? That's not the question we ask anymore. Mm -hmm. The question we ask is, does this fit what I want to do? Does this let me express my highest ideal of negative freedom where nobody gets to tell me what to do and I can do anything I want and nobody gets to tell me to wear a mask? If it restricts my freedom in any way, I hate it. Mm -hmm. Which is why all the anti-vaccine moms were saying I shouldn't be forced to get a vaccine because .0001 people get sick after having a vaccine are the ones that are now totally fine with a 1% mortality rate, which is actually a little higher than that in America total, and a 50% issue of lingering neurological issues after COVID infection. Those are stats that should scare the crap out of you. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we're okay with that level of risk because it means I get to go do whatever I want and I get to go to the park and I get to not wear a mask. I'm I'm willing to accept those actually scary risks to go do what I want. But I'm also willing to be afraid of a 0.0001% chance of a vaccine hurting me because I want to be able to do what I want. So the real issue is we've got a country full of children who want to do whatever they want to do and they don't want to actually take care of themselves and their neighbors and actually listen to evidence. So we need to demonstrate, like for our children, we are actually showing what it feels like to submit to authority science Mm -hmm. authority right now Mm -hmm. and just like their job is to keep us safe and we tell our kids all the time our job is to keep you safe so it sometimes feels like we're taking your fun away 
but right now what your body needs is sleep or right now what your body needs is to not run into the road and get hit by a car like (laughs) it feels that way and so we can be honest with our kids and say this isn't fun i wish we could go there Mm -hmm. i wish we could do that thing i wish you could go to preschool with your friends right but that's not what we get to do now for the faith people back back on that argument when you said like those are i forget exactly what you said about um those are all social arguments or so uh, I, I said, one of the arguments is, if we have enough faith, uh, we we could meet God together. God will protect us. God will protect us. So that's um, really like a faith issue. Yeah, I forget the guy's name, but there was a guy, uh, he was a, a bishop in, I think, one of the Methodist tradition churches, uh, a little farther south of here. Um, he actually went on, and I think he is a televised, his church was televised. Okay. So he went on church and says, well... I am an essential worker in the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and God will protect me. And I don't think that COVID has any place in, in this sanctuary. Yeah. And so I've they kept having services. Mm-hmm. He's dead. Oh, like he did. He died like did um, less than a month later Oh my gosh. because he got infected because he didn't follow guidelines. And I'm not saying that every single person who goes to church during the pandemic is going to die, but let's just be very clear if you're going to say, well, God is going to protect us if we do the right thing, then my question back is, okay, in the instance of that guy right there, did God just decide he didn't have enough faith and he should have been like spit shaking with everyone? Or is it maybe that God's going to let you suffer the consequences of your own actions? And if you go out during a pandemic, he might let you die. Hmm. Is that Romans 4? They turn them over to their... <laughs> I mean... <sighs> yeah. Yeah, like saying so you have faith is, is, and then handling a snake is a great way to get bitten. Right. So saying you have faith and going out during COVID is a great way of getting COVID. It's like that analogy where like this person, there's a flood and this person's like, God, save me, send some. And, and there's like yeah. a boat that passes by, a helicopter that passes by. And the guy's like, no, God's going to save me. God, and the guy's like, me. you're an idiot. I yeah. said three things to save you. If we repeat that story, yeah. it's like a guy, guy says, okay, God, save me from COVID. Right. At which point God sends a mask. He sends mask, a six home. foot of distance and he sends staying home. And the guy's like, that's fine. I'm going to go to the beach and like drink out of a public drinking fountain. Right. And no then deal. he dies and gets to heaven and God's like, wow, dude, you're kind of an idiot. Yeah. And when we think of church, we think, okay, well, this is this has been hard because we know that people are grieving the loss of their spiritual community. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's not great. <laughs> we know that we're, we're missing the essential element. So many people haven't yet figured out the whole house church thing where you can just gather with a few people and right. worship with us on YouTube with a few people in person, because that is essential to our Christian faith and our Christian mm-hmm. maturity and development and growth. But we also know, yeah, we could be together and we could assign seats and we could enforce masks and we could make sure everybody uses hand sanitizer and sits apart. We could do that, but that absolutely will not happen. And we will end up being the police mm-hmm. <laughs> and nobody wants that. Like, I don't want to have to tell well, this and... person to put their mask back on. I don't want to mm-hmm. have to tell my kid to not play with those kids. Well, because we tried it once. Yeah, we did. We tried doing a drive-in Outside. church and we're like, okay, look, we'll do this in the safest, most clearly separated way possible. Everyone drive in your cars. We'll have eight feet of space in between car vehicles. Mm-hmm. And then that way, you know, as long as you don't get out of your car, even if you take your mask off, that's fine, whatever. But everyone can still reach the church Wi-Fi if you want to listen to it with your windows closed. You can do that instead, instead of wearing a mask. 
And after the very first time we did that, somebody went around and shook the hands and like basically like spit shared with a bunch of people who are really old and at risk for COVID. Yeah. And so I looked at that and I'm like, okay, I don't want to have to tackle this dude to keep him away from people to keep everyone safe. So we're just not going to meet in person because I can't trust you. Right. Or we're in t- trying to figure out the, the logistics of having a very small baptism service mm-hmm. with two families involved and it's very small but we're debating between the two of us like do we do mass do we not do mass like these you know it's just mm-hmm. and there do we turn on the fans do we not turn, it's going to be super hot if we don't have the air conditioning running and but if we turn on the air we're blowing our spit everywhere <laughs> and it's just for the sake of everyone's health for the sake of our literal lives we're going to take the most cautious road mm-hmm. yeah and people talk about playing russian roulette like it's completely stupid and why in the world would you ever take a 16 percent chance yeah right you know you figure you get a six chamber gun you spin the you spin the barrel and you you click and you shoot yourself and see if you get the one bullet or this six blank or five blanks mm-hmm. that's 16 percent chance and people talk about that like it's the stupidest thing you've ever done in the world yeah but if we keep on this path and say everybody or half the country gets COVID, currently are the best stats that I've seen most recently are that 50% of people who get COVID have some sort of lingering health issue, usually neurological, after they recover even. Let alone, not, I mean, and that's... I'm completely ignoring death right now. Or like just the basic not being able to taste your food or whatever. Like that's well, a significant That's one of the issue. neurological issues that okay. they're including. Okay. Yeah. So like there's some sort of like permanent neurological thing. That's 25% chance. Yeah. If, say, eventually half of them get it because we never get this in lockdown. Mm-hmm. And then half of those half, 25%, have some sort of lingering thing where, like, motor control, whether or not you can use your legs, is one of the potential side effects. Like, how many chambers are you willing to put in this gun before we pull the trigger on you? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just not okay. And so as long as you can... Like, do your essential functions. If you've got to go do something, like if your employer has basically set the rules and if you don't come to work, then they're not going to give you money, then fine. Go earn the money for your family. I'm not going to fault you for that. But the things that we have control over, like, stay safe. Be the most conservative. Stay safe. Mm -hmm. Keep your neighbors safe. Keep your family safe. Yeah. And if that sounds weak to you, then I... Recklessness is not strength. Yeah. It's time we learn the difference. Yeah. I would like to just acknowledge that we're all grieving, and I think it's important that we talk about and share and write down the things that we feel like we're, we've lost and the things we're upset about. And also, like Kevin said, take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Wear your mask. Mm-hmm.